and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm your host, Anna, and every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights, and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to, and doubtless prompting some more in the process. Today we're talking to Caroline Casey, founder of the Valuable 500 campaign, a disability and business campaigner, and a campaigner around inclusive business, or as she describes herself, a dangerous dreamer. So welcome, Caroline. I think maybe troublemaker we could add into the mix there as well. <laughs> Dangerous dreamer and a troublemaker. Sounds like a very good thing to be. Yeah. Um, so let's just go straight into it. I mean, Caroline, you're known uh, for many things. One of those is having an amazing backstory. Uh, I watched your TED Talk, Looking Past Limits, which I absolutely recommend that anyone uh, who's listening to this clicks on and, and watches because it is quite something. Um, it's a story of elephant odysseys and transformations. And I won't go into it too much. As I said, watch the TED Talk. But one of the things I wanted to start off with was one of the key elements, which is your, you know, in the talk, you talked about your father not telling you that you couldn't see until you were 17, which is extraordinary. Uh, and, and, and how you grew up without limiting yourself because of it. So I just wanted to kick off with a very broad question about all sorts of things. Um, we can talk about disabilities in particular, but I think this would apply across the board to everyone, really. Is it, is it the things that we tell ourselves uh, or the stories that others have about us that most create the expectations and limitations that we have and, the, and that society has for us? Wow. Um, <laughs> it's a big question. I was about to say, that's a big, juicy question <laughs> to start with. And how does that, I mean, how does that affect yeah. people with disabilities particularly? And, well, no, and, I, know, I, first, society, first of all, I think the conversation um, around self-acceptance is not a disability conversation. No, exactly. uh, Every single human experiences otherness. It mm. depends on what the context they're in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, every one of us wants to belong. Not to have to fit in. Um, not to be accepted. But I think we all yearn to be seen as who we are and to be heard as who we are and to belong. So it's very difficult uh, to live authentically as yourself um, when you are pressured, series of norms that are around you to how people see you and what, what it is to be successful, what it is to be good, what it is to be, you know, it's other people's opinions of you are very hard to kind of uh, protect yourself against. And I think the the biggest uh obstacle to 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 self-acceptance and to being yourself, which is exactly what my father wanted me to do, is you've got to really listen and know yourself and that you've got to take time mm. to find out who you are and what you are, not what other pe- people think you should be. Mm. And honestly, I'm 47 years old now um, and there is a great cliche, you can't put a uh, young head on old shoulders. I'm sorry, but it's true. It gets easier as you get older. <laughs> it just does, man. Like in your 20s, you're so worried about what everybody else thinks about you. What is success? What is acceptance? But actually, as you start to get older, kind of gets easier. Does it? Does that mean that, you know, it becomes a ripe time for creating change and creating movements for change? So I've been doing this crazy change making for 20 years. In the, this October, um, is the 20th anniversary when I came out of the closet about being registered blind. So, mm-hmm. and it's been a 20 year journey. Um, I, I have never, nothing could have ever told me what these two decades was going to be and, and how it was going to, how it was going to emerge. 
But I've been doing change making since I was 28 years old. So I've been pushing for this space. But what I'd say to you now, as I've launched the Valuable 500 campaign, I'm easier on myself. Mm. I think I actually have stepped into, this is going to sound quite spiritual, but I've stepped into my own power. I've learned about when to rest. I've learned not to push myself so fiercely. Um, I still do. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I certainly have resilience as my second name or tenacity or grit or whatever, but there's a, there's a little less, um, you're a little less harder on yourself. I think you're more balanced. Um, I have a real sense of who I am. Mm. Um, I think I'm coming from a place of soul purpose rather than fear of what other people think. So I think the change making I'm doing now or the campaigning, I think it's a lot realer. I think I've turned up as much more of a lot realer person, mm-hmm. um, much more grounded, mm. <laughs> certainly not less crazy, but more <laughs> grounded and just maybe a little kinder in myself. I've always been very hard on myself. I think as many of us are, I don't think that's just to do with me. I think I've just, I'm certainly more grounded person. Let's circle back because obviously having not watched your TED Talk, uh, our listeners may not be familiar with what happened to you at 28. I was working as a management consultant in Dublin, Ireland. Um, I'm Irish. Um, They did not know at the time that I was registered blind because I didn't tell them. Uh, When I discovered I was registered blind by accident at 17 when I went to get my driving license, uh, which my father gave me a driving lesson. I do come from a crazy family. I did not want to have the label of disability. Mm. And so I hid it for 11 years. Um, and so I had worked for them for two and a half years, they not knowing that I have a vision impairment. So, uh, yeah, I came out of the closet quite, quite unceremoniously <laughs> uh, and said, wow, I, I can't see you right now. And this is not a scheduling issue is I simply can't see you. And I, I need to own that I, I have a severe visual impairment and, I can't hide it anymore. Yeah, and this is the limit. I mean, what what do you think would have happened if they had known? And and you know, how does that feed into your work about changing business culture now, or the work that you've been doing since? So I'm just going to give you a little boring stats here, but I don't think they're boring. I think they're very very compelling to why we've done the Valuable 500. EY did a piece of research that said 56% of our global boards, so the boards, have never heard the word disability on them. Wow. 7% of our C-suite leaders or leaders in business have a disability, lived experience. Four out of five of them are hiding it. Wow. Wow. So that's 20 years on from when I hid my disability. So it's not gone away. Why are they hiding it? For the same reasons that I did. For fear that an assumption would be made about our potential, our capacity, our capability, um, fear of how people would treat you, the chance you would have got. To your question, if Accenture had known that I was registered blind, would I have got a job? I don't know. Who knows? But you know what? I wasn't willing to take the risk Mm, at that mm. time. And to be fair, I never saw a person who had a disability in business that I could look to. I didn't see a role model. So why would I have disclosed? So I went in essentially lying (laughs) um, and got away with it. Mm. Uh, So, you know, overcompensating, trying to distract and got in. And based on my, my, my master's in business, I got a first. So all they were looking at was my ability, my skills. They, they, they they did did nothing to tell them that I was visually impaired. Do you think that they saw what you told them then? 
I mean, that's, that's a powerful message, isn't it? <laughs> it? But look, you opened this up by saying mm. is, you know, how do we see ourselves? Mm. So I told them that's who I am. And I didn't lie and about didn't who I was, it. but I just didn't give them the full story. Yeah. Because actually, for me, I have an impairment. Um, I have an impairment that disables my seeing. But I am not, I don't see it. I think it's society that disables us not my impairment. It's only one part of me. I'm, I'm so many labels. I, I'm blonde. I'm Irish. I'm a woman. I'm a, I'm a great dancer, a dreadful singer. I'm an ex-management consultant, an elephant handler, a cowgirl. I mean, I could go on with all the labels, but why is the impairment the most important thing? Why do people decide who you are because you have a vision impairment and decide for you what you can and can't do? And, I think it's just crazy. I mean, I'm still a consumer. I'm still a supplier. I'm still talent. I still fit into the business ecosystem. I still need to eat, buy clothes, have a career. You know, that should not stop me engaging with business, nor the 1.3 billion people in the world who have a disability right now. I mean, that's just madness. But as you say, it's that otherness, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's the whole inclusion piece, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that other people and then they become not human to you or not in your sphere of experience. So, yeah, because yeah. I think, I mean, my background is archaeology. Anthropology was one of our subjects. We have to remember we are tribal and we will go to what's similar. That's just as we are as humans. But when we're talking about human inclusion, you cannot categorize us. You can't pit humanity against each other. And in business, unfortunately, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, they are pitting race against gender, against LGBTQ, against disability. That's just insane because business should be representative of the society to which it's operating in. And disability has always been the poor cousin on sort of the edge of the table. Yeah, yeah, And that's yeah. just not okay, I don't think, anymore. Yeah. It's interesting you say about the point that you made earlier about role models. There is a distinct lack of role models uh, of people with disabilities. I, I can't recall that many people that I've seen in prominent business positions. And they're obviously there. And like you say, a lot of them are hiding it. But it's, I don't know, for some reason, it's it's not at the forefront. and it, it Oh, I love you for saying that because it, it just keeps compounding the reasons why we're doing the Valuable 500. Yeah. So, well, tell me about the Valuable well, yeah, 500 Well, yeah, no, because campaign. the Valuable 500 is, was launched in the World Economic Forum in Davos this year, which is the most important business platform in the world. And it is so insane. That's where we launched it. But I'm like, no center stage for leadership. It's inviting 500 of the world's biggest CEOs to commit to putting disability on their board agenda and making a commitment to action. Mm -hmm. Now, what's different about this, it's really simply saying, you're a leader. You are responsible. You are accountable for the organization you run and the culture. Leaders make choices. Choices create culture. It's not your HR person. It's not your DNI specialist. It's you. You, yeah. you give your signature to this. I'm not saying you have to do the work, but you need to be visible for what it needs to be done. You need to stand over that work. And what that is, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment of intention. Mm. And there's no reason in the world the CEO should say no, because it doesn't matter if the company's not done anything or done something or leading. The signature is to begin scale or influence. And what that is really about is exactly what you're saying. Where are 500 Sheryl Sandbergs? Yeah. Look what happened. So you referred to my TED talk. I did that in 2010. And that's when Sheryl Sandberg, she was on that stage earlier on in the day. And she was talking about leaning in. Do you remember when Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, took to the world stage and leant in? 
And then suddenly we were all leaning in. Okay. That's the power of a leader, a brand and a platform. And it's not like we weren't talking gender equality at work beforehand, but look what that meant. Mm. So the valuable 500 is essentially trying to get 500 Cheryl Sandbergs and making sure that we don't leave disability behind. Do we want to see some of those leaders come out of the closet? One of my most exciting disclosures was a lady who I really seek your listeners to go and find, a lady called Janet Riccio. She's the most high-level person in the Omnicom Media Group. She's on the board. Two years ago, she was running around in New York in her Jimmy shoes. This year, in May, she did an interview with us with Bloomberg, coming out of the closet at 60 with ALS. By her doing that, number one, she is about, this is a really important statistic of the 1.3 billion people with a disability, 80% acquired between the ages of 18 and 64. She's one of them. She came out and by her doing that, it triggered a glow, a conversation within her company. Mm -hmm. There we are. There's our first Cheryl Sandberg. Richard Branson has dyslexia. If he needs to speak about it in the terms of disability, the CEO of the biggest bank in Israel has polio. He started to speak about it. And now we know if we can have that conversation, well, then we'll talk about it. Then we'll get something done. But when we're not talking about something, it'll never get done. Coming back to the, the umbrella of disability, do you think that one of the issues has been that, that there's that sense that if you can't see the disability, then it's kind of not really there? I mean, you know, it's very, if somebody's in a wheelchair, you know that, you know, you know they are, they have mobility issues. But if somebody is partially sighted or has dyslexia or, you know, any other, I mean, it's very easy to kind of, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because as, as you, you've done, you know, you can sort of hide it a little bit if you want to. But also it means that it doesn't come into people's awareness and then they don't deal with the, any of the issues around it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the most important part of my disability. It's actually invisible until I take out my white cane. Mm. Um, and I do use that. Um, that was I, in your TED talk. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and I still do now. I use it to skip queues in airports and stuff. But I get away. See, this is an awful thing. Why am I trying to get away with it? But the issue is that 80% of disabilities are invisible. Mm. 80%, right? Mm. And I think there's a beautiful quote um, that Maya Angelou has said, there's no greater agony than an untold story inside you. I think people who are living with secrets, that could be invisible disability or that just can be stuff. Mm. It's bloody hard to constantly hide it to try and keep a piece of yourself away so that you will belong and, 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 and be part of the world and not have people make assumptions about you. Um, and I think the invisible nature has been a huge problem for me because I look normal, whatever that is. And so then I, when I ask you for help, I sometimes feel like you think I'm looking for attention and I feel icky about that mm, because I was mm. brought up being never asking for help to be a trucker to be resilient and I'm constantly struggling with that very fine line with I need your help mm. but you're looking at me going what are you talking about and 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 I find that really difficult it's a constant struggle in my life mm. um whereas if I looked more disabled then maybe you wouldn't ask so many questions and I wouldn't feel so guilty asking for your help but then you would probably get more instant limitations yes. placed on you by other people. Yes. I mean, it's it's such a, a yes. complicated yeah. dynamic. I wanted to talk to you about this idea of, of of seeing people as unique rather than other or different, because that you know if that was the metric by which we just saw everyone as unique, 
I mean, it's a utopia, isn't it? But it's still a really important issue because, you know, rather than see someone as, as flawed or incapacitated or, or, you know, different, you just see them as unique. <laughs> well, I think so. One of our one of the things I really believe is that we are all equally unique and valuable. And I have a really big problem with somebody saying to me, "Well, you don't know who our CEO is." I mean. <laughs> I don't care who your CEO is. The position is one thing. The human is another. Mm. And I don't, I do not believe a human being is any more important because of their position as you or I are, actually. And mm. uh, we are all equally unique and valuable. And my challenge to these CEOs and leaders is it's not what you do, it's who you are. And I love the way that you talk about, you know, we shouldn't be talking about whether somebody has a disability or flawed. By the way, we're all flawed. I didn't mean that. In, in no, 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 no. I, mean, I love just, it. You know, no, no, you're right. In, there no. were air quotes going on there. No, no, you're, no, you're absolutely correct because you've you've just called it out. Mm. Disability is about what's wrong with you. What's the impairment? Mm. But actually, the conversation is we're all flawed. We're all good yeah. at some things and bad at some things. That's who we are. We all carry our stories with us. Some of us have come from places of damage and families of damage and other not. We, we are, we turn up as the best as we can be. Mm. And I think that's what makes it really exciting. The only thing that we have in common is that we're different. What I, I, what I, we get scared about is that we categorize each other against each other. And we talk about inclusion and we're saying some inclusions and exclusions are more important than each other. What are we talking about? Mm, exactly. We're all allies for inclusion. And we're like, I have more failings than I have non-failings. But if I own them and I, and I accept them and for myself, then I'm more likely going to do the same for somebody else. And I do, now I'm getting probably very woo-woo, but I do believe when I like myself a bit better and when I love myself a bit more and when I self-accept, I'm honestly more tolerant and loving of anybody else. Mm. And I know that's probably a bit woo-woo stretchy, but it's true and I've lived it. So when I'm less hard on myself, I'm less harder on others. I think it's, I don't think it's woo at all. I think this is fundamental stuff, isn't it? You can't change cultures without changing yourself first. Yeah. Um, but while we're talking about cultures, I mean, tell me what an inclusive business culture means to you. How does it support that uniqueness while also pulling together in a, you know, common goal? Uh, well, uh, now this is a whole podcast in itself. I'll be here forever. Part two. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give you one or two things that I, I'm probably known to be quite controversial about. Um, I do not believe the diversity and inclusion agenda should be on its own. I believe it should be in sustainability. I believe it should be reported strategically into the leadership and the culture of the organization. I do not believe it's a HR issue. I believe it should be about leadership, culture, and sustainability. What it would look like for me in the future is that we do not have this insanely categorized group. I don't mean that employees can't, you know, come together around areas of common interest. That is fantastic. But each of them need to have the same amount of resource. And what I would love love to see is a striving to universally inclusive corporate cultures. End of. Mm. I'd like to see in our advertising the true human experience and breadth of the diversity that exists in us. And I'd like that just to be normal. I would like the, the performance of companies to be measured on that. 
and not categorized again, but to be measured. So if we're looking at the Dow Jones Sustainability Index or the FTSE for good, like disability performance needs to be included as well. And I think we need to look at human experience and what that means. I'd love to see universal design. I mean, if anybody should make the case for this, it's Apple. Apple, Steve Jobs, obsessed with creating the most beautiful products that everyone can use. If you have ever had the best example of universal design, there you go. You see, to be universal in your outlook is good for business as well as good for society. And that is the best example I know how to, to prove that it's true. In terms of as the design part is, is really interesting. I mean, there are so many factors, aren't there? It's not, it's not just about the, the verbal or the thought. It's about the world that we live in, the physical world, the way it's set up. You've, you've, you know, called out universal design. Why isn't it, why is that not becoming more prevalent? Oh, but I kind of think it's well, starting. Think it oh, right. I kind of starting to think it's look. So one of my biggest crimes was when we started the Valuable Five Hundred campaign. I used to do little video clips, but I didn't do auto captioning on them. And then somebody was like, "Caroline, you're excluding people who have hearing impairment for your conversation." I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." So I downloaded this app called Clipomatic, and I said sorry. Because I just didn't know and I didn't think. And I'm a Luddite as well. And when I did that, it's, can I just say, the amount of people who are like, oh my gosh, if Caroline could do it, I can do it. Mm. So I'm thinking we're on a, we're doing a podcast right now. Yeah. So how can somebody who's hearing impaired do it? Do could Can that be downloaded for somebody to read? But the more all of us do this, the more of us will be part of the conversation. It'll just be part of how we have communication. But also I don't feel that, we're not going to get all this right first time. When we're innovating, we're going to fail. So I don't want people to jump down people's throats when we get it wrong. At least we're trying, and then we should continue to try and improve. But by not trying or not starting, then we'll never get, we'll never go anywhere. Mm. So um, I think universal design is really starting because through social media, we're starting to hear the voice of humanity. Mm. Everybody has a chance, right? Everybody's got a chance to communicate. And we have to make sure that technology, though it's incredibly inclusive, does not exclude as well. We've got to make sure our technology is democratized to give everybody the same chance. And the tools are out there. Let's go back to your 500 leaders, the 500 leaders that are going to pave the way to greater change. What, apart from their commitment, do you want from them? What are the three things, for example? It's a bit of an arbitrary number, but... No, or the Or the three things that you would wish that they would either do or, or set in motion in their it's own very companies. easy. Go on. There's three things that we want is, one is their signature, because that means they are responsible. Number two is to the signature to put it on their board agenda in a conversation and make a commitment to action. And I don't care what scale or size that action is. I want you to do it and stick by it. And number three is to publicize it. What I want is for every CEO, for their children to look at them if they have children, go, mom, dad, are you a valuable 500 leader? I want them to be proud of doing that because I think it's a reflection of who they are as a leader. I want them to take that responsibility. That's what I want. I want you to use your business head because disability, this market that I'm speaking about, is worth eight trillion. Mm. We are consumers, your suppliers, members of your community, but I also want you to use your heart. I want you as leaders to use your heads and your heart. And so do it, put it on the board agenda, make a commitment to action and communicate that to the world. Say that you're proud, proud to be that human leader. Caroline Casey, thank you very much. 